Volume Three, Chapter Five of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Book Three, Chapter Five. Doctor Grant prosecutes his suit with caution and success, and Brandon finds his love-making all to do over again. Harriet Phillips could not come out quite so strong in her contempt for colonial ways and colonial people, arriving when she did, if she had landed ten or a dozen years before, but still there was a great deal that was open to criticism. Mr. Phillips and Mr. Brandon thought the colony had made rapid strides towards civilization and comfort, since the great influx of wealth consequent on the gold discoveries had attracted to Victoria much that was unattainable before. Even during their absence in England there had been a great deal of building going on in Melbourne, and many other improvements had been introduced. The houses were better, and better furnished, the shops seemed to contain everything that enterprise could import or money procure, the ladies were handsomely and expensively dressed, and there were public amusements such as were never heard of in the early colonial days. But still there was much even in Melbourne that was un-English and strange to a newcomer. Melbourne did not at all come up to Harriet's expectations, though what she had expected would have been difficult to tell. She had wished to go to Victoria because it would be a novelty to her. It would be so different from England that it would be amusing. But every difference that she observed, and she was very quick in observing such things, was always for the worse. There was, of course, the difference of climate, which led to many alterations in dress and manner of living and which would reasonably lead to more if the English colonist was not so much wedded to old customs and costumes. The heat and dust Harriet found to be insupportable, and the dress which was most suited to it was so unbecoming, particularly the gentleman's dress, with the endless variety of hats for head-covering. Dr. Grant, who stood a good deal on the dignity of his profession, when in Melbourne, wore dark clothes and a black hat even in the heat of summer, and that weighed in his favour with Harriet. The noise and bustle of Melbourne was so different from what she had been accustomed to in Derbyshire, indeed it was more like Liverpool than any part of London she had seen, a poor edition of Liverpool, and that was the city of which the Victorians were so proud. She could not enter into the natural liking of a people for a town that they have seen with their own eyes grow from a mere hamlet of rude huts to a handsome, paved, lighted, commercial city like Melbourne, who identify themselves with its progress having watched the growth of very improvement. They wonder that it does not strike strangers as being as astonishing as it appears to be to themselves. Mrs. Phillips had no acquaintances in Melbourne, but Mr. Phillips and Dr. Grant knew a good many people, who were disposed to be very friendly to Harriet, but she did not feel very grateful for such kindness. She fancied that her position in education, and her being recently out from England, ought to give her an overpowering prestige in these half-savage lands, and though she lost no chance of laughing or censuring anything which she thought colonial, she could not bear to be talked of as a new chum, whose opinions should be kept for two years at least before they were worth anything, and whose advice was probably worth nothing at any time. Amongst other subjects for censure, the great freedom of manners, particularly amongst young people of different sexes towards each other, struck Miss Phillips forcibly. She had observed at evening parties, at picnics, and at places of public amusement, the very unrestrained way in which they talked and behaved, and she thought the colonial girls were badly trained, and that they ought to be more carefully watched by mothers and chaperones. At the same time she took full latitude herself, 
and did many things on the strength of her being in Australia, where people might do as they liked, that surprised even the colonial girls themselves. If she remarked on their flirtations with their old friends, they could not help observing Miss Phillips's prepossession towards her new acquaintance, and laughing at the manner in which the two seemed wrapped up in each other. How could she endure his returning to Ben Moore, and leaving her, perhaps, for another month in Melbourne, without his society, was a question which they frequently put to each other, but she solved that difficulty to her own satisfaction, and as much to their amusement. "'I am very sorry to leave you,' said Dr. Grant one day to the object of his attentions, "'but I must go. Business must not be neglected. I cannot fly about like Brandon, letting my affairs go to ruin. I hope you will not be long in coming to Wiriwilta, Miss Phillips.' "'Not very long, I suppose,' said Harriet. "'Indeed, I think there is nothing to prevent Mrs. Phillips from going home now, if she would only believe so.' "'Nothing whatever,' said Grant. "'I am quite wearying to see Wiriwilta,' said Harriet. "'The children's letters are quite rapturous about its beauties, and Miss Melville, too, seems very much pleased. You will like Miss Melville, I am sure. You like Scotch people, I know.' "'If I do not like Miss Melville better than her sister, my liking will not go very far,' said Grant." "'Do you know Stanley thought Alice quite pretty at first? I don't see it. Miss Melville is what people call plain, but I prefer her appearance to Alice's, and she is very clever and strong-minded. I quite expect you to fall in love with Miss Melville,' said Harriet, with a little laugh. "'No fear of that. I have no fancy for strong-minded women. Not but what I like a good understanding and good sense in a lady, but let each sex keep to its own department. But, Miss Phillips, if you really want to go to Wiriwilta, I can drive you up.' or, better still, you could ride. You are an admirable horsewoman, as I know, and I have an excellent horse in town that would carry you easily that distance without fatiguing you. It would be a beautiful ride. You would see the country so well as you go along. I should like to go of all things, said Harriet, but what would Stanley say? Oh, I will tell him it was quite unnecessary for you to stay with Mrs. Phillips, and it will be the easier for his horses to bring up the rest of them if you have gone before, said Grant. Well, I am really tired of Melbourne. I think I have seen all that is to be seen, and I dare say there are some preparations and arrangements I could make before Mrs. Phillips comes up, so as to make her more comfortable, though I dare say Miss Melville has done her best. Still, there are things that one of the family can do which strangers cannot be expected to attend to. Certainly, said Dr. Grant. I can imagine your presence at Wiriwilta will make things more comfortable for all parties. And, by the by, Emily and Harriet will be neglecting their music— and I engaged to see to that, so long as I remained in Victoria, as Miss Melville knows no music. "'No music,' said Dr. Grant. "'That is a singular sort of governess to engage for young ladies up the country.' "'She is wonderfully clever about other things, and brings on the children very nicely. When I compare them with the girls of their own age whom I have seen in Melbourne, I cannot help congratulating my brother on having brought out a governess with him. It would have been better, of course, if she had been English, but Miss Melville is not painfully Scotch.' "'I hope you have no dislike to Scotch people,' said Grant. "'I myself glory in my country.' "'Oh, I quite understand your feelings. "'If I had been born in Scotland, I should have felt the same way, I dare say,' said Harriet. "'But with regard to this drive or ride to Wiriwilta,' said Grant. "'How long should we be on the road?' asked Harriet. Two days, I think. "'We would stay all night at Mrs. Ballantine's, a very old friend of mine, and an acquaintance of your brother. "'Ballantine and I were fellow-passengers when we first came out.' they will receive you with bush hospitality. I should like to introduce you to Scotch bush hospitality, and it is a pretty place, too, rather romantically situated. I should really like to see it, 
for I want to study Australian scenery and Australian manners during my short stay in the colony, to see as much as I can while I am among you savages. "'Then shall it be a ride or a drive?' asked Dr. Grant. "'I think I should prefer driving,' said Harriet. "'But I must first consult Mrs. Phillips. I do not suppose that she can enlighten me much, but as Stanley's wife I owe her that courtesy.' So Harriet, with a condescending smile, took leave of her admirer. Mrs. Phillips was in an exceedingly bad humour, but she made no objection to Harriet's going away. She did not quite believe in the zeal for the children's music or for her comfort, which Miss Phillips professed, but she was tired of having the name of her society without the reality of it. As for the impropriety of her sister-in-law's travelling all that distance with a single gentleman, either riding or driving, Mrs. Phillips had never decided any question of the kind for herself or others since she had been married. She had always acted as her husband thought proper, that is to say, she might often have made mistakes or done wrong if he had not prevented her, and the proposition did not strike her as at all objectionable. Elsie wondered if there was an engagement between her and Dr. Grant, when a young lady of such strict principles proposed so singular an expedition. Harriet was not at all quick at reading countenances, and was particularly dull in the interpretation of Elsie's, but as some idea of the kind had dimly occurred to herself, she gave it voice and explained her views on the subject, in Elsie's hearing, to Mrs. Phillips. "'Of course I should never think of such an adventurous journey in England, but here it seems the fashion to do just as is most convenient to ourselves, and for your sake and that of the children, I think it is better that I should go first. Dr. Grant, being a professional man, and such an old friend of my brother's, will be an excellent escort, and I am really desirous of seeing a little of the roughness of colonial life. We will stay all night at Mr. Ballantine's, and reach Ruiwilta in good time the second day. I will see to have everything comfortable for you, Lily, my dear, before you come up. I wish you could accompany me. Dr. Grant says you could go up now, if you were disposed. I am not going to Ruiwilta till Stanley comes himself to fetch me, for I am so timid with any one else driving on these dreadful roads, and as for what Dr. Grant says about my being fit for the journey, he is not my medical man this time, so I won't go by his advice. Besides, he don't understand my constitution as Dr. M. does, said Mrs. Phillips. I feel very sorry to leave you, Lily, said Harriet. Oh, I dare say I'll get on very well, even without you. Alice and Nurse will do for me until Stanley comes. Tell him how I weary to see him the very first thing you say when you see him. Whenever he's done with going over the stations, beg him to come down. Alice has written for me to tell him to make haste. I am not strong enough yet to sit up to write. The idea that Harriet might hasten her husband's return to her helped to reconcile Mrs. Phillips to the very cavalier treatment she received from that young lady. Harriet enjoyed her drive exceedingly. Dr. Grant knew who lived in a great many houses that they passed, and they carried with them the great subject of agreeable conversation in themselves. The Derbyshire country and the Highland scenery was compared and contrasted with the Victorian, very much to the disadvantage of the latter, which indeed did not look its best, but its very worst at this time. Mr. Ballantine's station Harriet confessed to be rather prettily situated, but things in the house were very much rougher than she had expected, and the house itself was of a very irregular and primitive style of architecture. The slab hut enlarged, so as to be tolerably commodious, Yet still the very house that the squatter had built, partly with his own hands, in the early days of the colony. He had not been a fortunate man, but he had got his head above water since the gold discoveries, and he was not so imprudent as to involve himself again by building a handsome house so long as the old one would do. 
Mrs. Ballantine had an overweening opinion of the advantages of English society and English education, and received Miss Phillips with an amount of adulation quite beyond anything she had ever met with in her life, which was all the more effective from its being perfectly sincere. Her own children were but half-educated, and very deficient in acquired manner, and they too looked with awe on Mr. Phillips's English sister, who was so self-possessed and so fashionably dressed. To a person less conscious of her own superiority, Mrs. Ballantine's profused apologies for everything and everybody would have been rather painful, but Harriet received them graciously, and told Dr. Grant that she felt quite delighted with this first specimen of bush hospitality, and with his Scotch friends. Dr. Grant, on his side, was exceedingly proud of his companion, and felt quite sure of his success with her. He never had been so agreeable as during this long drive, and when they appeared at Wiriwilta, on the second day, in time for an early tea, both travellers were full of spirits, and not at all tired. Mr. Phillips was not at home, and not expected for some days. Jane was somewhat surprised by the appearance of Miss Phillips under such care, but received her politely and kindly. Dr. Grant had to go home to attend to business, but promised to ride across to Wiriwilta as soon as possible, to see if Miss Phillips had not suffered any fatigue from the long journey over such rough roads. It was rather flat at the station for Harriet on the following day. She was disappointed with the house, for, though it was a great deal better than Mrs. Ballantine's, it was not so large or so convenient as she had expected. She could not take any interest in the many things which the children showed her, which they thought so beautiful, their pet animals, the few wild flowers they could find at this season of the year, their dear old trees, their pretty walks, the native boy Jim, Mrs. Bennet's baby, and the curious windmill that Mr. Tuck had made for them with his knife-clasp and some twigs. She could not be troubled with such childish talk. She wanted rational conversation, but when Jane Melville sat beside her, and conversed in her own quiet, sensible way, she felt even that to be unsatisfactory. A new element had entered into Miss Phillips's life. She was, after her fashion, in love, and she was restless and dissatisfied without the presence of the beloved object. Dr. Grant was just long enough away to be very welcome when he came, and Jane was a little amused at the manner in which Harriet threw off her languid air of indifference, and talked to this, to Jane, most uninteresting Scotchman, who was so full of national pride and personal vanity. Jane was very cosmopolitan in her ideas, both by nature and by education. Her uncle had always had more pride in being a Briton than a North Briton, and had never fired up with indignation at Scotland being included or merged in England. She did not think Scotchmen intrinsically more capable than English, there was a greater diffusion of elementary knowledge in the northern part of the island, but she thought that, in society, Englishmen were more agreeable than Scotch, as a general rule, because they were more certain of their own position. Scotch and Irish people are too apt to be afraid that they are looked down upon, and are too often on the lookout for slights to be resented, whereas Englishmen, who do not know much of continental feelings and habits of thought, have a comfortable conviction that the greatest country in the world belongs to them, and that nobody can dispute it. Dr. Grant was surprised at Jane's want of nationality, and confided to Harriet that he was greatly disappointed in her, and in spite of Harriet's professed regard for Jane, she could not help seeing the faults which this keen-sighted observer pointed out. One day, when Dr. Grant and Harriet were in the enjoyment of each other's company, and flirting in their own interesting manner, and Jane was sitting beside them with the children, Mr. Brandon and Edgar made their appearance. Emily and little Harriet met Brandon with acclamations, and the little ones rejoiced over him in a very noisy manner, too. Jane gave him a hearty welcome, for she was really delighted to see his face again, 
but Miss Phillips and Dr. Grant were scarcely so affectionate. "'Well, here comes the recreant knight,' said Miss Phillips. "'What have you got to say for yourself, Mr. Brandon?' "'To say for myself? Oh, I have a great deal to say for myself. I have seen a great deal since we parted in London.' "'But why have you left your business and my brother's, and gone wool-gathering in South Australia?' "'I have just gone wool-gathering, and that must be my excuse. Phillips will admire the sheep, I am sure. They have just got home in first-rate condition, easy travelling and plenty of time. But where is Mr. Phillips and Mrs. Phillips?' "'Oh, Mamma is in Melbourne, and we have got a new little brother, and his name is to be Vivian, after Uncle Vivian, you know, and Papa is out over the runs, and will be back on Saturday.' "'And I am sure he will be very glad to see you, and Edgar, too, I dare say,' said Emily. "'And where is your sister, Miss Melville? Has she come out to Australia with you? Is she quite well?' asked Brandon. "'Quite well,' said Harriet. "'She is in Melbourne with Mrs. Phillips. We expect them out in a week or two, or perhaps as much as three weeks, for Mrs. Phillips fancies she cannot stand the journey for some time.' "'Alice has not seen where he will to yet,' said Emily. "'I know she will think it very pretty. Miss Melville likes it very much.' "'And you have got quite strong, Emily?' said Brandon. "'Quite strong again. I can walk to the water-holes, near to the grove of young gum-trees, and back again without being a bit tired. We have such lovely walks every day with Miss Melville. And do you know, Mr. Brandon, my dear old Cockney died just after you and Edgar went away to Adelaide. But I have got another, such a beauty, and two such lovely parrots. Jim got them for me. You can't think how glad Harriet and I were to see Jim.' and Mrs. Bennet has got another baby, and I'm to be godmother, and it's to be called Emily, and Mrs. Tuck has got another too, ever so fat. We have not seen our own baby brother yet. But how does it happen that you did not write to me? I got one letter telling me little Eva was dead, and that you were getting better, but next month I did not hear a syllable, good or bad, from any of you. Because we were on board ship by that time, before the mail from Australia came in. Papa thought we would all be here sooner than we were, but it was a delightful voyage. We had Mr. Dempster—you know Mr. Dempster—and such a nice lot of Adelaide children. I was so sorry to bid good-bye to Rose. She was my friend all the voyage, and there were some very nice gentlemen, too. It was quite as nice a voyage as the last, only that Miss Melville made us do lessons all the time, and perhaps after all it was as well that she did. "'I never heard such a chatterbox as you are, Emily,' said her aunt. "'Did you find the voyage pleasant, Miss Phillips?' asked Brandon. "'Oh, yes, very pleasant indeed.' "'I did not think you would condescend to visit our rude latitudes,' said Brandon. "'Oh, I am really quite enjoying my visit. Stanley was greatly pleased at my proposal to come out, for he thought it such an excellent thing for the family. I am only on a visit, you know. I cannot say how I should like Victoria for a permanence, but I like the novelty for the present.' "'And your cousin is in Parliament, I hear, and likely to distinguish himself, Miss Velville,' said Brandon. I hope that you and your sister do not despise us poor colonial people. Certainly not, said Jane. Indeed, Francis says that he got most of his best ideas from Mr. Sinclair, who had been in Canada and the United States, and from a conversation between you and Mr. Phillips and Mr. Dempster the first day he dined with us in London. He says nothing sharpens an Englishman up like intercourse with such pushing, energetic, straightforward people as colonists. That is high praise from a British member of Parliament. I owe him something for that. "'But did you see Peggy before you left?' "'Yes, we went up to bid her good-bye. "'I do not think she will be long in joining us,' said Jane. "'Well,' said Grant, who, as well as Harriet, felt that Miss Melville was receiving more than her fair share of Brandon's conversation, "'you have not given at all a satisfactory account of yourself. "'You have been figuring away in Adelaide, I suppose, and enjoying yourself, "'and leaving your own affairs and Mr. Phillips's affairs to mind themselves.' 
"'And you have been figuring away in Melbourne, Dr. Grant,' said Emily. She could not bear any aspersion to be cast on her friend Brandon. "'And then you brought Aunt Harriet away, so you leave no one with poor Mamma but Alice. I am wearying so to see Mamma and the baby boy.' "'Suppose you go with me,' said Brandon, "'for I am going to Melbourne to-morrow to see them. And I have some business there besides.' "'Oh, that would be delightful. Miss Melville, may I go?' "'I think not, Emily,' said Jane. "'Your mamma will be here soon, and your papa will be disappointed to find you gone when he comes here. I should not wonder that he will take you with him when he goes himself, and that would be better, I think.' "'Much better,' said Miss Phillips. "'I wonder that you could think of such a thing as troubling Mr. Brandon to take care of you all that long way.' Emily made a rather pertinent remark as to her aunt showing her the example, at which Miss Phillips blushed, and Grant looked conscious but delighted. He could not conceive what was taking Brandon to Melbourne immediately on his return from Adelaide. He did not believe his assertion that he had business to attend to there. It was another sign of his being spoiled by his visit to England. It had completely unsettled him. Now that Brandon had heard that his letter had never reached Elsie, and consequently that he had not been treated by her with discourtesy or unkindness, he felt relieved, but at the same time a little sorry that all his trouble had been wasted, and that it was all to do over again. A few months ago he had lamented that he could not have it out by word of mouth, but now he regretted this letter had not, at least, broken the ice, and inclined her to listen to his suit. However, things had come to such a pass that he could not wait an indefinite time. He must go to Melbourne and learn his fate without delay. He left Edgar at Wiriwilta, where Emily thought him very much improved, and where the boy was exceedingly happy. He took a great fancy to Miss Melville, who was very different from the fond, anxious women who had brought him up, but whose experiences with the Lowrys had given her great interest in boys of that age, and who knew so much on all subjects that she never failed to win upon them, if they were tolerably intelligent and well disposed. End of Book 3 Chapter 5